He's not a man. He's a spirit. He's the father of spirits. It may not be, it may not be dramatic or spectacular, but it's usually a spiritual phenomenon. And so that puts it in the class of miracle. It's beyond the natural. It's, be, it's called supernatural. It's beyond the natural. It's beyond what men can do. And like I said, I think last Sunday, it does not lend itself to rational thinking. You can't figure it out. You can't reason it out because it's by the Spirit. It's an act of divine power. So everything in Christianity is really, really a miracle. And it's not figured out by human understanding. The Bible wants us not to lean onto an, uh, on, uh, on our understanding. Even the Word of God is not to be figured out by men. The church began to lose its influence and anointing when they opened theological schools where men with long degrees took over from the Holy Spirit and started interpreting scriptures with natural things, with human mind, and they lost the anointing and lost the effectiveness, and people left. The church wasn't even relevant anymore because the power of God wasn't even there because God was being neglected. The word of God is not to be interpreted by men. It's not to be interpreted by men. Men have no capacity to interpret it. It's beyond man. First, Second Peter 1.20. 2 Peter 1.20. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. No human being can give his interpretation to the word of God. It's of God, brethren. It's supernatural. It's coming from the spirit of God. It's the wisdom of God that the Bible tells us that this wisdom is not our ways. No human being can interpret it. That's what I said on Sunday, that you don't understand it because you are smart or not smart. Your ability, your smartness is irrelevant when it comes to the things of God because it supersedes our smartness. For instance, the love of God passes all human understanding. And to know Jesus is not, you can't lead it to rational understanding, rational interpretation. You don't know Jesus by human mind. And he said so. Matthew chapter 16 verse 15. He said unto them, By whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee. But my Father, which is in heaven, the revelation of Christ himself, whom we sing about and who we preach, doesn't come from man. No human being can, can understand who Jesus is. If I, he said, he said, no man know the Son, except the Father. Nobody. So you don't understand the things of God from human knowledge. And that's why people, when they want to do that, they get frustrated. They, they leave the church and they lose interest in the things of God. Because they can't, it, can't, it, it doesn't add up for them. Especially people who are very smart. So he said, flesh and blood is what revealed Jesus to us. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. We can't know God by our wisdom. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that uh, believe. So only the Holy Spirit teaches the things of God by revealing it to us. These facts are really known to us, but I want to remind us this. Because in the days in which we live, it is, it's easy to really be spiritually lazy. Very easy. And get into forms of religions and all stuff like that. And because there are people who teach this thing, and because they have crowd, they have name recognition, and because they've been around for a, for a while, sometimes it's easy to drift into trying to think because you've been around, you are now an authority in the word of God. There's no authority in the word of God. Only the Holy Spirit is. And because, because people listen to you, and because you have crowd and things, you have name recognition, it's easy to slip into this confidence that you can, without even knowing it, give, give the word of God your own interpretation, thinking because you've been teaching this, you are now an authority. And then when people listen and they don't take time, that's why, that's why I'm saying all of this. They don't take time to go and check these things out 
And you hear it a lot. Oh, it's the same. So, 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 say that. So, 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 say that. They are not the authority. They are not. No human being has any private privilege to give it his own interpretation. The authority in the word of God is the Bible. The Holy Spirit refers us straight to the Bible. Jesus will refer people to the Bible. What is written, how do you read it, how do you read it, is the habitat of truth that God wrote and gave to us. So when you listen to people who preach the gospel, thank God for people who preach it, including me. Go back to scripture if you, if you really want to be saved. Go back to scripture if you want to be saved. Go back to scripture, the arbiter, the interpreter, and let the Holy, you and the Holy Spirit work it out and see whether these things are so, whether they are underwritten by the, Holy, by the word of God because nobody can give it his private interpretation. I don't care his title. I don't care how many years he's been teaching. It's irrelevant. The most important thing is that no man can give scripture his private interpretation because the things of God are supernatural. We don't have the capacity to even understand them, not to talk of interpret them. Only the Holy Spirit gives us this revelation from the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches. See, man's wisdom doesn't teach it, but which the Holy Ghost teaches it or reveals, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Which means you need to go to scripture you have no natural things to compare it with. You can illustrate it with natural things, but it doesn't match up. So you go and use scripture, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Scripture interprets scripture. So you need to sit and listen where you are listening to the word of God coming with scriptures and scriptures and scriptures. When there is no scripture to authenticate things, you better watch out. Interpreting spiritual things with spiritual for a thing. But the natural man receiving not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him because he's a rational human being. Either can he know them, he can't, because they are spiritually discerned. It's spiritually discerned. It's from God. Only God can interpret himself. Nobody else can. And so the scripture uses the word that is taking us to where we're going. When Christ, who is our life, Christ, who is my life, and Christ, who is your life. The Bible calls it a mystery. It calls it a mystery. It calls the plan of God for salvation a mystery. And he calls this statement I just made, Christ, who is my life, your life, a mystery. Why? Because that statement doesn't lend itself to human interpretation and human understanding. Christ, who is my life. You can read it mentally and pass over it. But if Christ is your life, shouldn't you want to understand really very well how is your life? And it's not going to come from, it's going to come from the Holy Spirit revealing it to you as you study the Bible. And pray too that God will give you the understanding of it. So the scripture called God's plan for us a mystery. Why is it a mystery? Because it is not understood by human understanding. So it's a mystery. Hidden. But it's now being revealed by his spirit. And then God couldn't reveal it to man until Christ really came because man was dead in sin and trespassing that spirit was dead. So there was no way they can really have a revelation of these mysteries of God. So he called it the mystery. He uses three words here. He said the mystery of our faith, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the glory of God coming to man. All of them he called, the scripture called them mysteries. God's plan for you. God's plan for me. Which means he really called Christianity a mystery. Because man can't understand it. So it's, it's a mystery to man. So let's look at the mystery of godliness. How, what is God's plan for me to live a godly life? 
What is God's plan for you to live a spirit life? What is God's plan for me to stop living the natural life and start living his life? The mystery of godliness. God's plan for me to live a godly life is a mystery and needs to be revealed to me. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, King James Version. Great is the mystery of godliness. See what I'm talking about. He said, the mystery of godliness is great. It's deep. Very deep. Great, not small. And now this is the Holy Spirit describing it now. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested. Now he's telling us God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the, on the, in the world, received up in glory. Who is he talking about here? Jesus is the mystery of godliness. And the Holy Spirit said, this is a great mystery. It's deep. That God has become man's life. That God is now my life. God has become my means of being, living a godly life. He said, this is a great mystery. And it's important that we understand this thing. Because in this, in this mystery of God, it didn't mention you or me. As the great mystery of godliness. We are not. You are not. I'm not. Your denomination is not. We can teach and help, but we are not. God is. The great mystery of my living a godly life is not me. It's not in me. God is that mystery. That mystery of God is that God came down on earth in flesh form and became my life. That is the great mystery that God is my life. Jesus is my life. It's a mystery that I need to seek God to know and understand. Lest I make myself the mystery. Read that scripture. I wasn't mentioned. You are not mentioned. No human being was mentioned. God was manifested in this flesh. God justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles. Believed in the world. Received in the glory. Jesus is the mystery. It's God's plan for me to live a godly life. It's Jesus. It's Moses was not mentioned here. The law was not mentioned here. Nothing else was mentioned here. God manifested in the flesh. Jesus. To live a godly life. And then Colossians 1, 25 to 29 takes it, begins to call it the mystery of the glory of God in my life. The glory of God is his majesty, his, his character, his power, his authority, who he is. So let's read it now. Colossians 1, 25. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Paul said, I was appointed to teach this thing, to, to fulfill the word of God, to bring, this, to bring this teaching to the church of Christ. So that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to understand it. 26. Even the mystery, called it mystery again, which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. The Holy Spirit is revealing it to us because now we are alive in the Spirit. To whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of, it, of this mystery. The riches, the benefits of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Again, he's telling us the mystery of God, the plan of God. To make me live godly life. To make me live the spirit life. It's Christ in me. The other one we read says, God came in the flesh. That's the great mystery. Now this one said, call this name is Christ. Again, I'm not the plan. You are not the plan. Very soon you see how these things, we, if we miss it, we get into trouble. We must get this point clear. I am not God's mysterious plan for me to live godly life. You are not, 
Nobody is. Christ is. The only hope of living a glorious life, not a shameful life, a glorious life is Christ in me. I see the easy to read version says, the secret truth, which is for all people, is that Christ lives among you. He is the only hope for glory. The New Living Translation says, it is the only assurance of sharing all of God's glory. He, not me. Because when I substitute Christ for me, I miss out on the glory. I will not experience it. Because that's what a lot of people do. When you substitute Christ for you, you can't see the glory. Because religion will do that. And ignorance will make us do that. The Bible calls it the mystery of faith. The mystery of our faith. Still talking of the same thing. The plan of God to make us live a life of faith. A life, godly life. A life of the spirit. The life of God. He says Christian leaders must commit to this teaching. You see how important it is? Christian leaders must commit to this. In, in 1 Timothy 3, 9, I'm reading New Living Translation. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith. Who are they? Those who want to be pastors, deacons, they must be committed to the mystery of the faith. Now revealed, I must live with a clear conscience. The, the Holy Spirit said, Every, everybody who wants to lead my people must be committed to this mystery of the faith. Must be committed to it. Must go understand it very well. Because there is no other way to God's glorious life except Christ in us. Verse 10, yeah, very good. Verse 10 says, before they are appointed as deacons, let them closely be examined in the light of this commitment. It's not because they went to theological college. They must be committed to teach people that Christ is God's plan for them to, have, to see his glory, to live in his glory, to live in his glorious realm, to live a godly life, to live in his authority, to live in his power, to live in his blessings. Christ is God's plan to make all of these things happen. They must be committed to this before they are appointed as deacons. See how important it is. And the reason we need to study this is because if this is this serious, that every leader deacon things must be examined in the light of their commitment to this, then, boy, you better check out this, you know. But there is no other hope of glory I have. There is no other hope of living godly life, living in authority, living in victory, except Christ. Matthew 13, 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. You see? Cause it the mystery again. The plans of the kingdom of heaven. It's a mystery. It says, given to us who are children of the kingdom to know it. Why? Because First Corinthians 1, 12. Sorry, John 16, 13. Why? John 16, 13. How be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He guides the Christian into all truth. He will guide us into this truth of revealing this mystery to us. In 1 Corinthians 1, 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. So the Holy Spirit is here now to make you and me understand this mystery. So he sees this to be a mystery. So that we can believe it, experience it. So God wants every believer to understand this mysterious plan called the mystery of faith, the mystery of the glory of God, Let's look at Colossians 2, verse 1. I want you to know. I want you to listen to this. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally 
Why are you organizing in prayer for them? What is driving you? I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. He said, I pray, I organize in prayer. This is so important that they understand it. The Holy Spirit said, you want to be a pastor, a deacon, you got to commit to this thing. Paul said, I want to make sure they understand the, the God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Christ himself. It's not a method. It's not you. It's not me. You can't substitute Christ, you, Christ with you. The mist, you don't see it. Let me tell us something, brethren. The Bible said that Christ is all and in all, nothing less. The mystery of godly life is Christ himself. So if we miss this point, we join the religious bunch. Listen to this. We join the religious bunch and engage in worthless rituals instead of a productive life of simple faith in Christ Jesus. Simple faith. We get into ritualism because people love rituals. Do this four times. Wake up by this particular time. This one. Wear this one. Turn this one. People love rituals because ignorance will clothe you in rituals. And that ritualism will produce nothing, will not produce any glory. The glory is victory. The glory is seeing, seeing God manifest in your life. You will not see that. You will not see that. Because ritualism is not part of his plan. His plan is Christ in you. Simple faith in him. All that ritual that makes you feel, yeah, now we're doing it. Shout Jesus ten times, do this one four times, do this one five times. It's all ritualism. The mystery is Christ that comes to live in you. The mystery of godliness, God comes down, becomes in human flesh and lives in us. It is him. It is because of him that we can see this glory. Number two, we cannot afford to make our Christianity about ourselves. That will lead to self-adulation and self-righteousness and pride. Seeking self-praise too and recognition and having a, a, a strong sense of entitlement and judgmental spirit too. Why? Because you know, I'm doing this thing now. I'm doing this thing now. See how holy I become. See how many hours I pray. See how many. These things are wonderful. No, nobody should stop them. But they are supposed to lead you to know the, the mystery. They are not supposed to lead you to yourself. They are not supposed to lead you to yourself. They are not supposed to lead you to what you are doing. They are supposed to lead you to what Christ is doing. So we cannot afford to make our Christianity about ourselves. Oh, you see, I pastored the big church. Pastor the big church. Paul said, I pray the gospel, but I have nothing to glory in. Because it's not me, but Christ that lives in me. Nothing to glory in. It's not me, it's Christ. So if we don't understand this, it's easy to slip into self-righteousness, self-praise, and then if you do something and they don't recognize it, you get angry. Because you think you are the one. If you give somebody help sometimes, if, if he doesn't greet you, you, know, you tell everybody after all the things I'm doing for him. Because, you know, you interjected yourself and think you are the reason for your glory, for your blessing. I think that this self strong sense of entitlement, I even take it to God and say, I, I, after all the things I, I do for God and this thing is happening to me. See what I'm saying? Sorry, you missed the glory. You won't see it. Christ is the only reason for the glory of God. Or it will lead to the other extreme to self pity and self condemnation, you know, because you try and fail, because you are struggling with a particular weakness in your life. It will lead to self pity, self condemnation, withdrawal. 
Coming to church, you're losing trace because you think, oh, I don't belong. I'm not perfect. I'm not good. It will lead to sadness, lead to depression, failures, addiction, even sexual addiction of habits mostly to self-satisfaction, substance abuse, because you are depressed, so you seek for help. Secret alcohol consumptions, taking smoking cigarettes to get nicotine high, even self workaholic sometimes, partying, seeking for relief. Because either way, it opens the Christian up to Satan to frustrate his life and make us miserable and shred our so-called faith. See why this is important? Because it's easy to drift to substituting myself for Christ. It's very easy, very, very easy. Because we're comfortable there. It makes sense. It makes really sense. And so, you know, I've been in this church. Why shouldn't they make me a dick? Why am I, supposed, why am I not supposed to be a head of minister? After I've been here for how many long? This one they made, am I not better than him? It's all coming from this under, not understanding that that is not, that is not God's plan for your glory. If you know that Christ is God's plan for your glory, whoever they make them make won't bother you because you see the glory of God, head of ministry or not. A strong overcoming faith is built on Christ Jesus alone and nothing more. Once you remove Christ, once you remove Christ, it's a hopeless situation. Can't win over sin, can't win over the devil, can't win over nothing, can't, no glory at all. Can't live a godly life. Ephesians 2, 12. New King James Version. That at that time you were without Christ, you remove Christ, you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. No hope in this world. Can't remove Jesus. He's all that matters. He's, he is our all in all. He is all that matters. First Corinthians 3, 21. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Can't glory in men. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 to 18. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 to 18. But he that glory, let him glory in the Lord alone. Our glory comes from Jesus alone. Colossians 3, 11. I'm reading Amplified. Colossians 3, 11. In this new creation, all distinctions vanish. There is no room for, there can be, there is no room for, and there can be neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, no difference between nations, whether aliens, barbarians, Scythians, who are the most savage of all, nor slave or free man, it's unimportant. Whether they made you this, didn't make you that, it's totally irrelevant to this thing. Completely irrelevant. Why? But Christ is all in all. Everything and everywhere to all men, without distinction to person. New Living Translation says that it said in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or civilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. That's God's plan, to see his glory. So that's why the scripture says that God calls us God, small God, because we carry his presence. John 10, 33, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? <laughs> is it not written in your law, I say, ye are God? Didn't they write it before that God called us gods? Not capital G, small gods, a chip off the big block. Without the big block, we are not that thing. They were not this. 
You see, verse 35. If he calls them gods, unto whom the word of God came, unto whom the word of salvation came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, that blasphemy because I said, I'm the son of God. So the Holy Spirit says, huge sons of God, for you are gods, because your father is big God. You are not God in the sense that you are God Almighty, no. You are God in the sense that God says, I live in you. You are the only hope to live the godly life, the life that my life, to display my glory, to display my authority, to display my power, because I live in you. That's the only hope for that. Now, two things we want to look at to further understand, since we need to understand this mystery very well, and make time and study it more, how this act of God through Christ lifted us out of shame into the glory of God, how did Christ's presence in us bring us into this marvelous life of glory? Number one is that he died. We died with him and rose with him. We died with him and rose with him. I will treat this next week because this is very, very detailed. We need to go into here and, and look at it very, very deeply. So I will not treat it this week because I don't have too much time. But he died with, we died with him and rose with him, and, ha, and because of that, he's able to bring us a new life. He died carrying all our sins and rose in glory and power, being the great high priest appointed by God, not by men forever. He rose without sin, bringing us a life without sin. He rose and no, he's no more the, the Lamb of God. He rose in the full glory of God. And he rose, he took our sin down to the grave, rose up and brought God down to man. That's what he did. God laid on him all our sins, and he became the sacrificial lamb. God forsook him, and he died in my place. But when he rose up, he rose up, no more sacrificial lamb, no carrying, no sin, nothing. He rose up in glory. He rose up in glory. He rose up who he is. He's not, he's not, no more, you can't call him sin for me. No, it's not sin. He was, but it's now, he rose up in glory. He rose up in glory. And he rose up in glory, having dealt with our sin. Now he rose up without sin and comes into me to live, to bring me God, to bring me the life of God. I will deal with this by the grace of God this week in more details. That's number one, that is one way that Christ coming in us brings us the glory of God and gives us the capacity to live this God of, I mean, this life of God. The other one is that we are hooked onto him forever, never to be uncoupled. We are hooked onto him forever, never to be uncoupled. A trailer and a tractor. Let me show you pictures of a trailer and a tractor. Can I have those pictures up there? This is, this is, the first one is the tractor. This one is the trailer. Now, the tractor represents like Christ to us. The trailer, it's called trailer because it trails behind. <clears throat> it comes behind. So the trailer represents us. This trailer sitting there, there is nothing it can do. It has no ability to move, can't do nothing, can't go to anywhere. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You are just a sitting trailer. That's why he is the hope of glory. If this is sitting here thinks he's the one that is the hope of glory, he will sit there and rot away. But that trailer is the hope of this thing moving, top speed, and that's the hope of this thing going to where it needs to go, and that's the hope of this thing being useful to the company that owns it. That thing up there is the power that carries it. Now let's see it couple. When it couples, you see what happens to this thing that's sitting there idle. And can't move. Look at it coupling. Look at it coupling. Look at that idol. That Christ comes into you, the hope of glory. It comes and couples. You see, that giant thing is now moving. That was sitting idle. It's now moving to a destination where it should be. It's moving to where it should be. Look at it coupling again. They coupled and coupled. It come, coupled together and started moving. Christ comes and couples to you. 
and you begin to move to where he wants you to be. He begins to move you to where you should be in life. Place of health, place of glory, place of living a godly life. He moves you. He is the power that moves you and me. If you uncouple that thing and remove that tractor, that trailer is what useless, can't do anything. The only hope of that trailer is that tractor that pulled it. Can you put it back again? Put it back up again. You see, it's going now, it's, pulling, it's going to couple with it. Once it couples now, that life threaten came alive. It began to move. And if you see it on the road at top speed, the only thing that's making it move is this engine, is this tractor that is pulling it. That's something with us and Christ. So God's plan for me to move, God's plan for me to move in the right direction is that I am coupled to Christ. Christ is my only hope of moving in the right direction, coming alive. Look at it right here. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 to 17. 1 Corinthians 6, to 16 to 17. It says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 16. 6.16, is that what you have? I think 2 Corinthians 6.16, right? Oh, 17, okay, 17, yeah, 17, sorry. Yeah, 17. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Couple to the Lord. If you don't, you can't do nothing. He's your only hope of glory. That's why God's plan for you and me is not me. It's not the trailer. That trailer can sit there. The plan to move that trailer is to send a powerful engine that will pull it. So God sent a powerful, his son, in his fullness, in his glory, to come and couple to you and begin to give you the ability to move in the right direction and the right speed and direct you to where you should be Leading you to still waters. Leading you to where you can. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Leading you to a place of peace. And you know that tractor, that trailer, no matter what is in front, that, thing will, that is the thing that will meet the challenge first. If any challenge is in front of that trailer, it is that tractor that will meet it first and overcome it, whether it's snow or whatever. That's why Jesus is God's plan for us. So we're joined to him in Colossians 2.8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of me, beware. After the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of Godhead bodily and you are complete in him which is the head of all principalities and powers. Once you are coupled to him, you are good to go. You are completing him. You are completing him. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can't move nothing. So you see, God's plan is not you, it's not me, it's Christ. It's Christ. Simple faith in him. Pull you to where you're going. Simple faith. Second Thessalonians 1.11. New Living Translation. So we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. That's the power that enables you. That is the tractor that enables the trailer to move enables you to live a life worthy of his call, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. If you remove Christ, you don't have it. Christ is the power of God to help make you do all of these things. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. 
is the source of my strength. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of him are you in Christ, who became for us wisdom. You see, he is the source of our wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And as that one that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He became our source of wisdom. He became our wisdom. He became our righteousness. He became our sanctification. He became our redemption. That it, as it is written now, he that glories must not glory in man, must not glory in me. I am not the hope of my glory. I am not the plan of my salvation. I am not God's mysterious plan. Christ is. My faith must be in him alone. Again, doesn't make sense naturally. Because what makes sense is what I do. So that I can show people what I'm doing now. And then the question is, so what do I do? Only believe. <laughs> Only believe he pull you. Just believe he will pull you. He will pull you. He will pull you. He will direct you. He only trust him. Because it's a lie. He will pull you. He will direct you. He will prompt you. He will guide you. He will enable you. And he will keep you and save you from the traps of the fowler. And he's in front. Anything comes, he's the engine that they meet first. He's the, he's the tractor that will meet the thing first. And so, what is required of us is to give him ourselves now. To surrender everything to him so he can pull us. We cannot resist his pull. We can't resist his directions, his instructions. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He wants our whole body given to him as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. Our primary service. Our number one service is to present that your trailer to him intact. Say, pull it all. Take it over. Romans 6, 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. <laughs> I mean, that trailer has to be, has to lend itself to the pool. Where they are pulling, he doesn't know. What he knows, the engine is going the right place. say we, we accept this kingdom like a child. Not with wisdom of men, arguing all over the place, I know too much. My mentor said, people who know too much, Pretty soon, nobody wants to listen to them. Very soon, nobody. They say because they, they really upset everybody. Because every time they do too much. So he says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. Why? Because he's here to pull you. He's your glory. He came. He can force himself on you. For you were dead. See, that's what I'm saying. Next week, we're going to talk about we died with him and rose with him. Very, very important in this thing we're talking about. He said, for you were dead. You see that trailer? If it is, not, if it is scattered and everything, not, there's nothing to pull. You were dead. Christ came and put us together and put us together and made us a pullable, pullable, pullable trailer by making us new creature. Next week we'll talk about that. He said, for you were dead, but now you have new life. You've been prepared to be pulled. He has made you pullable. You are not in shambles. You are not in pieces. You have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. For, thing, for sin no longer 
front. Sin is no longer your master for you. No longer live under the requirements of the law. Why? Because the law is not part of God's plan for your glory. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Yeah. By the grace of God, Jesus came to us. So all we need to do is to surrender it all to him. And in Hebrew 14, it says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Let any man fall after the same example of unbelief. It looks foolish. I said it at the beginning. Remember now, the mystery of God doesn't lend itself to rational thinking. But it needs to be revealed to us that this is Christ is our sufficiency. We're completing. You have him, you're sufficient, you're good to go. So you labor, try to stop to trying to, to, to think you are the glory, what you am going to do this. All that to do list is interjecting yourself into that. It's, it's, it's his labor, not your labor. It's his labor that makes you what you are, not your labor. We need to understand this very well. It's his labor, not your labor. Because sometimes we think it's our labor. That's what I'm talking about. We can drift into thinking it's our labor. I'm getting into pride and to, you know, thinking, oh, man, see what I achieved. I'm so, one brother said, people talk of grace. He said, I was in the north. Who, I, I, I didn't touch any woman. Eh? What, what is all this grace for? I, I did it before. I, see, he thinks it's his labor. <laughs> he thinks it's his labor. He's boasting himself. He's not in faith. The devil got him. Pretty soon he becomes very proud, unteachable, and already he's unteachable. And the devil is setting him up to backslide. Because that's a, that's a way to frustration. He said in him. But the scripture says, no man should boast in men. If any man wants to boast, he boasts in the Lord. It's the Lord's labor that makes me. It's his labor that makes you. He came to make us. He came to pull us. He came. He came to pull us. He came to give us the power to become what we should be. So we should depend on his labor and not our labor. Again, it doesn't make sense. Depend on his labor. The Spirit of God will teach you that. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's all you need to do. Come and take rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest unto yourself. Stop bothering yourself and worrying yourself about your labor. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Message put it this way. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out of religion? Because we keep failing now. I'm not going to do this again. You do it again. We keep failing now. So it burns you out. Come to me. Get away. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and walk with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You will learn to live freely and lightly. Now, the result of all of this is Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point now. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. You are now coupled to him. As a result of this coupling, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God simply because you are coupled to him. You can do all things, do things beyond your ability because his labor will lift you beyond your level. His power will lift you beyond your level. And that's why the Bible says what the Lord could not do because of the weakness of our flesh, God sent his son to give us power and ability to knock through all of that. Like a trailer that's moving through the road. It is that thing that's pulling it, that make, gives him power to move through everything. He so said we produce a harvest of good deeds for God because we are now united with him. We are joined together with him. 
And there are other benefits to this. Because, you know, sometimes as we, the body of Christ, we focus on character and behavior. We, we miss out on other things. So some people think, you know, because you really, really are living in right standing with God. Temptations will come. You won't be sick. You won't lose things. No. You've got to learn how to use the authority too God gave you. If you don't know how to use it, you'll lose battles. You've got to stand up and start speaking to the devil. So you've got to learn to resist the, the devil, resist sin. Because to resist these things is the assignment I have, not God's assignment. God has given us everything we need. And when God says, when they come, resist them with faith in me. Tell them what I've done. Tell them who you are. Tell them what I've done for you. Stand with what I told you. Stand with what I gave you. Paul said to Timothy, he said, fight with the prophecy given to you. God spoke to you. God gave you some words. Draw that sword and let the devil know it is written. Stand firm on what I said. And again, you see the glory of God. So part of the benefits is part of what we are going to study again and look at and see how the other benefits that are accrued to us because we are united with Christ. But because of my time now, I need to stop here. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we just want to thank you for teaching us this very important lesson that we must learn that every Christian leader must commit to to knowing that Christ is our only hope of glory so that we don't substitute him with ourselves or any other thing and miss out on the glory and live a frustrated, defeated life and miss out on what you really gave us freely. I pray, Lord, that you can help us to understand this topic. Not a very regular topic, but I trust you, Lord, to make it clear and clear to us. So that we too will begin to know that the only place of glory is faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I want to pray over the offering. And then we'll